you know, I'm going to be talking about marriage um, over the next two or three weeks, and then I'm going to be talking about kids, and I really don't know what I'm going to say because uh, I'm kind of, you know, it, it's hit or miss with, with me, but I know what I will do. I'm going to teach God's word, <laughs> teach God's word about how to raise kids. Okay, and then after we talk to the children, then it's going to be about us. We're we'll talking to the parents and our responsibility and how we are to raise our kids. And so that's kind of the, the journey that we're on. But this first message is an introductory message about the institution of the family. And I know that you know, and if you look around, it doesn't take very long to figure out that the family is under attack. The institution of the family is under attack from many different fronts. I mean, it doesn't take long. I mean, you go watch the Saints game this afternoon, and you just look at those commercials that you're going to watch, and what is promoted, what is put out there. The family is under attack from many different fronts, because here's what actually is under attack. It's not just that the family is under attack, specifically, because, but, but that really is happening. But it's individuals. We're under attack from the enemy Satan, trying to get us to adopt values and belief systems that are contrary to God's word, which will, in fact ultimately impact our marriages and our families. So the institution of the family is under attack in many different ways. And so, so, so what we want to do here is we, we, we want to look back in Genesis at how God created the family and what, what he did when he created the family. And, and we're going to look at, at immediately after God created the family, how the enemy was right there ready to attack. But this is what I want to say, that the family as designed by God has continually come under assault since the beginning. And we currently are reaping the results in our marriages and our families. The results of individuals throwing off the restraints of moral absolutes. Did you guys hear that? It's the results of individuals throwing off the restraints of moral absolutes. When a society continually drifts towards moral ambiguity, a you-do-you approach... The institution of the family, as God designed it to be, will slowly begin to crumble from the inside out. When individual people adopt this, you do you, I do me, you do you, I'll do whatever I want to do, and there's no kind of moral absolute, moral standard that we live by in society, the family crumbles from the inside out. Dr. James James Dobson, he says this about the family. He says, in the absence of proper vigilance the institution of the family is sustaining losses that threaten its very existence and i would say you can leave that quote up here for a second i would say in the absence of proper vigilance the institution of the family as god designed is sustaining losses that threaten its very existence and i believe that that's true that our culture motivated by satan And our cultural views of family are anti-Bible and what God established and what we're going to look at in Genesis here in just a a few moments. So we need to come back to this reality that that our, our marriages and our families are under attack, but it's not just the institution themselves, though that, as I said, that is happening. It's it starts right here. It starts with us as individuals. What are we going to do in our life? How are we going to live by, by God's rules and his laws? What, what are we going to do as Christian families? And so, so here's what's important. We have to understand that the enemy has been using the same strategy that he's been using since the garden. That when God instituted the family, he used that uh, uh, one strategy to go after that institution. And he's still using the same one today. 
And so that's what we're going to look at. Let's go to Genesis. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. And I just want to kind of show you, well, actually, before we get to Genesis 1, if, 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 you go, if you go and you read the creation story and you read how God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and, and the first day is finished, and, and what did God say about the first day? He said it was good. And then you go to the second day. He creates more, and he says it's good. Then the third day, fourth day, good, 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 sixth day, he creates the pinnacle of his creation, which is man and woman, which we will look at here in a moment. And what does he say at the end of that day? It be, behold, it is very good. And so this is why we're titling this series A Very Good Design. God's design is very good. It is a very good de- design that he created, the institution of marriage and family. So let's look at the text, Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And as you go on into Genesis chapter 2, you see more of the details of the creation of man. You see how those details are played out. And then you get into chapter two, uh, chapter 3 and you see the enemy comes on the scene. Satan comes on the scene in the form of a serpent. And this is what we see in Genesis 3. He begins a conversation with Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. You shall not. What does that sound like? It sounds like it's a commandment. You shall not. It's his word. God said you shall not eat of this tree and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate then the eyes of both of them were open they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths In this section that we just read in Genesis chapter 3, there are three basic lies that the enemy used, the serpent used, to deceive Eve into believing that it was okay to do what God said they should not do. God gave the command and Satan used three lies to try to convince Eve that that it was okay to disobey. And she was deceived and she disobeyed. And as a result, we are still disobeying God and believing those three same lies. Those three basic lies. And again, this is how marriages and families are destroyed. It's when individuals, you and I, believe that it's okay to disobey God. Believer or non-believer, non-believer or believer alike, it's the same thing. When we as believers believe it's okay to disobey the Lord, 
to not obey his commands and his laws, there are consequences that we will reap in our life. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, the same is true. God's law is good and is true. And when we reject his laws and his ways, as we see here in Genesis and his commands here, the results are devastating in individual lives, but ultimately in families. So we're going to look at the three basic lies that we must reject. I thought about it this morning when I got the, I looked at the handout for my notes. If you look at your handout, you have, there's no heading on top of that that says that these are lies. So you see three points and you're like, oh my goodness, what has Pastor Ben preaching? <laughs> like, no, these are lies. So when you see one, two, and three, they are all lies. These are the three basic lies. The first one is this. This is what the serpent was, was telling Eve. Number one, God's words cannot be trusted. God's words cannot be trusted. That's what he said, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, more crafty than any other beast of the field, he said to the woman, did God actually say? So he comes to her. And I believe that Eve got the instructions from her husband. Because God gave the instructions to Adam first. And said you can only eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. Then God brought Eve to him as a gift and provision for him. A, a helper that he needed. And so Adam instructed wife, his wife Eve about what God's law was. The serpent comes and says... I know what your husband said that God said, but I'm telling you, did God really say that you can't do that? He's trying to get Eve to doubt God's word. Can God's word be trusted? He's trying to, his lie is is that God's words can't be trusted. What is he doing? He is trying to cast doubt in Eve's mind on the reliability of God's word. He's trying to convince her that God's commands cannot be trusted. He's trying to get her to doubt her husband's leadership also. He's trying to get her to doubt her husband's leadership to instruct her in God's commands. This is what Satan does. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. And as we live our life in a post-Christian culture, a post-Christian world, we, we live our life in the type of world that we, that we live in, God's word is continually under attack. And we have to individually be reminded that God's word is true. It's forever settled in heaven. That God's word is perfect. It's flawless. Because it, is, because it comes directly from him. And that God's words can be trusted. This is what Satan does. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. Lying originated with him. So specifically, how does Satan twist God's word concerning marriage and family? We read earlier in Genesis 1.27, we saw the creation of man and woman, male and female. We saw, and you see in Genesis 2, how God brings them together in marriage. And he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He creates the boundaries for marriage. He creates the boundaries for sexuality. And he says, go forward, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, take dominion of, of the earth. So, concerning marriage and family, how does, God, how does Satan twist God's word? First of all, we see God defines marriage as being between one man and one woman. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. It's abundantly clear. God defines his creation. A creator has the prerogative to define his creation any way he wants. Is that not correct? Absolutely. God defines marriage as being between one man and one woman. Well, what does our culture say? What does Satan say? What, what does the world we live in say? It says this, that love... And marriage cannot be limited to a narrow definition and expression. Love and marriage cannot be limited to a narrow definition and expression. So let's throw off 
what God designed. And I just want to say, we are reaping the results in our culture. And, and when you and I say that love and marriage, that marriage is limited to a narrow definition and expression, that's viewed as hate speech. Because it's viewed as narrow-minded and that love cannot have parameters and love cannot have boundaries. And that someone can love someone else and someone can love anything they want. And you can't tell them that it's right or it's wrong or indifferent. But we believe God's word. We believe that God has spoken and that God's word is divinely inspired. And that it is profitable for reproof, correction and training in righteousness as it says in Timothy. That it is God-breathed. And God created us and God defined what marriage is to be. Marriage, again, is a one flesh union that is a lifelong covenant. This is what God's word says in Genesis 2.24. It says that a a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave, hold fast to his wife and that the two shall become one flesh, a permanent bond that's not meant to be broken. Mark 10 and Matthew 19 say That what God has joined together, let no man separate. But what does the world say? Marriage is a contract that we enter into. It's a contract that we enter into. That has financial terms. And and, and a relationship based upon preference and performance. And so as a result of that, of people pushing back from the restraint, from, from, from the, 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 the laws of God and the parameters of God concerning marriage being a lifelong covenant, that we see the results of broken marriages and families and kids that, 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 that are thrown into, in, into pain and suffering because their families are destroyed. We see the results of that. And my heart was broken this week when I read the article of the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, I don't know if I'm saying it's Bezos or Bezos. And he was married to his wife, been married to his wife for 25 years. Who's heard the story this week? They're getting a divorce. His wife's name is McKinsey. And so I read this article in CBS News. So I'm just reading all the details, going through it. And it says this. I'm going to give you some highlights. This is the heart of the whole article. It's about the fact, the title is, is that McKinsey Bezos, Bezos, is going to become the wealthiest woman in history, wealthiest woman in the world because of a divorce. So listen to this. It's not clear if the couple ever bothered with the prenuptial agreement back in the early 90s, but if Mrs. Bezos were to receive even a third of her husband's current $137.2 billion net worth, she immediately becomes the wealthiest woman in the world. A one-third Bezos stake worth $45.7 billion would vault her ahead of the L'Oreal heiress, which is worth $45.6 billion, and the Walmart heiress, Alice Walton, worth $43.6 billion. Even better. Next paragraph. Even better. You guys see the context of this? This is divorce. This is brokenness. This is pain. And they've reduced it to financial numbers. Even better for Mackenzie Bezos, the 48-year-old woman, would likely get half of her 50-year-old husband's estimated wealth, or around $69 billion, because of Washington State's status as a community property state, meaning all property acquired during a marriage is owned equally by both parties, and it should be divided in a manner that is fair and equitable. So, lucky Mackenzie that they live in Washington State. So you go through it, and it just talks about all these details of the finances, Talks about how Amazon was founded in 1995. Just again, talks about their, pre, their, their post-nuptial agreement. Talks about all these details. 
Talks about how Amazon has a total market value of 800, uh, 811 billion. The shares are worth 1,659.42 cents a share as of Wednesday last week. That Jeff Bezos has 16% stake. Goes on and on and on and on and on and on and then it stops. And there's one sentence at the very bottom, separated from the rest of the article, two or three lines down, and it says this. The couple has four children. And when I read it, that's like I just, like my heart just was crushed. Like how sad of an article. Right? How sad of an article. This is what we're reduced to in our country. What, what am I going to get out of this marriage? What is she going to receive that she's going to benefit for a, from a divorce? She's going to become the wealthiest woman in the world. Well, who cares? He can't take your money with you. Those of you here this morning, you got lots of money. I'm telling you, your money, if it defines you, it's what defines you as a person. When you die, people will fight over your money. And you'll take none of it with you. And these poor four children are going to be, they're going to be the afterthought in what's going on here. And that's what's sad. That's what the world, it's a contract, not a lifelong covenant. What about sex? God's word says that sex was designed by God to be enjoyed within, within the context of biblical marriage. When God created man and woman and created the first marriage, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. That to be fruitful and multiply, to, to have children was meant to happen in the context of marriage. You see also in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that no, no adulterer, no fornicator, no homosexual will have their place in the kingdom of God and of his Christ. Marriage Sex was designed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. What does our culture say? How does our culture twist? How does Satan twist God's word and the the, the parameters he's created? Sexual pleasure is the pinnacle of our existence. That's what the world says. Just look around you. That's That's what our world celebrates. Everywhere you go, everything is sexualized. It's the pinnacle of our existence is sexual pleasure. How far we have fallen as a society. We need to return as people of God. To a love for God's truth, a love for his law, a love for his parameters. And we need to be careful not to adopt the lies of the enemy. Even as believers, we can begin to doubt that God's word is true. We can say, but I know what God's word says about sexual pleasure, but, it just, but, but, but this just looks better feels better. I know what God's word says about marriage and it's intended to be a lifelong covenant, but I'm just not happy right now. I know what God's word says and the parameters that he's given, but it just doesn't make sense because I have a family member that thinks this way or that way about marriage. I know, but, it, but, but here's what we do. We start changing God's word based upon how we feel and how we think. We have to return to a love for God's word and a love for his law, a love for his truth. His law and his word are the parameters that God has given us to keep us in line with what pleases him. Psalm 19 says this, Verses 7 through 11, the psalmist David said, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More God's laws and his rules and his ways are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Jeff Bezos, you've missed it. You've missed it. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Listen to this. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Who is warned by God's law? God's people are warned by his law. His law is good, reflects his character and his nature. Moreover, by those rules and those laws, we are warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. In obedience, there is great reward. Amen? It's the first lie Satan used. Eve, did God actually say? Did God actually say you can't do this? God's word can't be trusted. It's what he's trying to get to convince Eve. So he tried to convince Eve and he was victorious. He's victorious far too often in our lives as well. The second lie we see is this, is that there are no consequences for rebelling against God's commands. It's the second lie. Let's go back to the text, Genesis 3, 2 through 4. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, so he, she responds to the serpent and says, well, hey, he says we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, don't eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He said, God said, God said we can't eat it and there's going to be consequences if we eat of it. And what does Satan say? He says, look, there's no consequences. You're, you're, you're not going to die. You can't trust God's words in the first place. You can't trust him in, in the first place. And secondly, he's lying to you. He's saying you can't do this. And that if you do this, there's going to be consequences. But I'm telling you that there are no consequences to, what, to rebellion against God. He's, this is what Satan is trying to, to convince Eve of. I know God said there would be consequences for disobedience. But I'm telling you, it's not true. God's word says this, Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do not be deceived. The Bible says in Corinthians that Eve was deceived. It says nothing that Adam was deceived. Adam sinned willfully. When Eve brought the fruit to Adam, Adam took it and ate it with knowledge that he was disobeying God. Eve was deceived. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. There are consequences to disobedience, even in the life of believers, that if we choose to reject God's word and his ways and the way in which he has established things, we will reap consequences in our life. And this is, this is, this is, where, we have, this is where we have had problems as a body of Christ concerning marriage and family. Is that we have this misinterpretation of what it means to be under grace. And we believe that because we're under grace and that we're not justified by keeping any law, we're justified by grace alone and by by faith alone in Jesus Christ, that it's okay if we don't acknowledge and recognize God's law as a parameter for our life. And we we can tend to forget that it's still true and valid and that we are called to allow God's word and his law to guide our life. And that when we rebel and we disobey, there are consequences. We will reap the benefits if we choose, even as believers, to reject his ways. But but do you know what's beautiful about God as our father? Those that belong to him. The Bible says that he disciplines the ones he loves. And so whenever we do rebel and we do reject 
the truth of God's word and we adopt the culture's view, God will be a faithful father. He will pull us in and he will discipline us, correct us, and set us on the right trajectory. That's what God does. But we cannot be deceived and believe that there's no consequences for rebelling against God. You know, sometimes we can even convince ourselves that no one will ever find out. You ever believe that? You ever, you, you ever seen, I, I, I remember I saw this video one time. Um, it was describing, actually it wasn't a video, it was a, um, it was a story from Dennis Rainey from Family Life. We were at, my wife and I were at a marriage conference and he was talking about how he told his, his, his daughter not to get into the chocolate syrup. And so he wakes up and he hears noise going on in, in the kitchen. And so he says, well, we're just going to kind of see what happens. And she, I forget how old she was. She was a little bitty, probably my Reagan's age, who's four years old. And, uh, and, and so basically, long story short, the little girl gets into the bedroom with, with Dennis Rainey and his wife. And she's got chocolate everywhere. All over her face. She can't hide it. And he looks at her and says, honey, did you get into the chocolate this morning? No. No, he goes on and tells how he gave her opportunity after opportunity to come clean, right? We can be just like that little girl. Reagan would do the same thing, right? She's, she can be a liar. She's, she's a liar too from time to time. She's done that, right? Just recently she's done it. <laughs> Sorry, Ms. Jobeth. Ms. Jobeth is her pre-K teacher. She knows too. <laughs> she can tell us stories. But um, we can think the same thing. We can be like little Reagan or like little, little Dennis Rainey's daughter. Adam and Eve were. Genesis 3, 8 through 9, they've disobeyed God and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife did what? Hid themselves from the presence of God. Let's think about that statement. They hid themselves from the presence of God. That's like Dennis Rainey's daughter in the bedroom with chocolate all over her face thinking that she's hiding from her daddy. Hide from God? How is that possible? They hid themselves in the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Adam, where are you? Sometimes we can convince ourselves that no one will will ever find out. You know what I want to tell us all this morning? Someone will always find out. Numbers 32, 23 says this. But if you fall to do this, if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And listen to this. Your grandmother told you this. You thought maybe it wasn't the truth, it didn't come from God's words. You you thought maybe she made it up, but it's from the Bible. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. Maybe your mama, your grandmother didn't know they were even quoting the Bible. But Numbers 32 says you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Do you remember Nathan, the prophet who confronted David? What did David do? He threw off restraints. He rebelled against God's laws and commands concerning marriage. And he had eyes of lust towards a woman, towards Bathsheba, bathing on her balcony. And he, as the king, requested her to come in his presence. And he committed adultery. And then to try to cover it up, to hide himself from the presence of the Lord, as if God didn't see what he did in secret, he tried to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, sent to the front line to be murdered, to, be, to ensure that he would be killed. Adultery, murder, he's trying to hide. Prophet, the prophet Nathan comes... And, and, and sent by the Lord to confront David in his sin. This is God bringing correction to his own. The prophet came and confronted David and, and, 
And, and Nathan the prophet tells David this story about how somebody is taken advantage of and, and, and how it's terrible and, and, and horrible that this person was taken advantage of. And David said, that is terrible. What's going to be done to this person? How are they going to, they, they need to be made to, to, be, to repay what they've taken and, and what they've done. And Nathan looks at David and says, behold, you are the man. You're the man. And you, you read in the book of Psalms, what does David do? He repents. He says, against you and you alone, Lord, have, have I sinned. David and Nathan, David and Nathan our, our, our inherited tendency from Adam and Eve, and we see that in David as well, is to, not try, is to try and hide and cover our sin. That's what Adam, Adam and Eve did as well. Just as David tried to cover it, Adam and Eve did, did, did that too. You know, Adam and Eve started the first false religion. They started the first false religious system. It's called fig leaf religion. Genesis 3, after they hid, after God revealed, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. What what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Because of their sin and rebellion against God, shame entered into the human race. Shame because of sin. They tried to cover their sin, atone for their sin by covering it up. It's fig leaf religion. They tried to become righteous on their own. There's only one way to be made righteous before God. The Lord himself must clothe you. You have to be clothed by God. And that's what happened. God clothed them. And and in a foreshadowing of, of Messiah, Jesus coming to take our place, to die and to be our substitute, to be sacrificed for us, the Lord in Genesis killed an animal, clothed Adam and Eve with skins of that animal. And it was a foreshadow of what, of what was to come, how we can all be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We don't become righteous in God's sight by obeying God's laws. We become righteous in God's sight by placing faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified, declared righteous before God, is by placing our faith in the finished work of the cross, not by keeping the law, not by obeying God. We are justified by being clothed in His righteousness and as somebody clothed in the righteousness of God the desire of our heart then is to obey God's laws and his ways that's how it is to take place but we must be covered not in our own righteousness but in a foreign righteousness that doesn't come from us but comes from God amen Amen. first lie God's words can't be trusted Eve second there's not going to be any consequences to rebelling against God and then the third lie is this God is withholding something good from us. God is withholding something good from you, Eve. Genesis 3, 5. Serpent says, For God knows that when you eat of it, of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the third lie that we can be tempted to believe is that God's withholding something good from us. God knows that if we, if we have what he says we can't have, then, then we're going to be like God. God knows that if we have what he has 
If, when he is forbidding, then, 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 then we're going to have higher knowledge and wisdom and we're going to be like him. He's withholding something good from us. Satan will lie to you and me and convince, try to convince us to believe that by following God, hear me, by following God, you will be missing out on all the good things of this world. When God says no to something, this is so important, when God says no to something, it's because he is saying yes to something far better. When God is saying no to something, it's because he is saying yes to something far better. Our creator knows under what conditions we thrive as human beings. Why is that? Because he's the manufacturer. We were made by him. I'm not the result of the, the result of the cosmic accident. I'm not the result. I was watching this Star Trek episode. You guys ever watch Star Trek, The Next Generation? Any Trekkies out there? Anybody know who the Q is? The Q, right? It's the last episode of Star Trek ever. Episode, season seven, last episode. And the title of it is All Good Things. And so the Q, who is a, a terror to Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Picard, always bothering him. He takes him to this other realm somewhere. And he's basically telling Picard that your decisions are, are that, 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 that the humanity itself is on the line by your decision, Jean-Luc. And he, he's at this, uh, this other realm and he digs his hand down into this slime, green looking slime thing. And he looks at Jean-Luc, he says, look, you see all the atoms, they're all connecting, they're coming together and, and this is where you began. That's not where I began. <laughs> I began in the foreknowledge of God. I'm created, as scripture says, in the image of God. In the likeness of God. I don't come from the slime pool of evolution. As Q from Star Trek tried to convince Jean-Luc and everyone else that was watching that show. You know, you need biblical understanding when you watch TV. (laughs) He's the manufacturer. He created us. He knows. He's not withholding anything good from us. When God says no in a command, it's because he's saying yes to something far better. Don't believe the lie that God's not good. Don't believe the lie that God's withholding anything from you. Psalm 8411 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does God withhold. How are our marriages and our families going to thrive today in the midst of a, of a crazy world that is thrown off restraints? We must follow God's ways. We must obey his word. We must, must not believe the lies of the enemy. We must, we must know that God doesn't withhold anything good from us because we are following his ways. We're walking uprightly. Matthew six thirty three says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All the things that you need in this life will be added to you when you seek God first. Matthew 7. If you're not convinced yet, listen to this. Ask, Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock. It will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, We'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, well, Jesus, Jesus was something, huh? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God's not withholding anything good from us. Sometimes when we think that, it's because, it's because we have temporary brain damage. We've been, we've been lulled to sleep. We've been hypnotized. I was listening to 870 the other day. <laughs> I had the Joel's in the car with me. And the advertisement came on for something in New Orleans to go to, some hypnotist. And it said, 100% guaranteed, you can quit smoking. And you do, they'll do it through hypnosis. And it said this, without an ounce of your willpower. Sometimes we can be hypnotized by this culture to believe crazy things. I think that's what happens. And we think, we forget, look, look, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what Peter says. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So how does the enemy get us? How does he trap us? We've talked about the lies, but let's see here in Genesis 3, 6 as we close. So he got the woman, he got Eve to the place where she would turn and she would examine the fruit in a different light. Listen to what it says here. So when the woman saw, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delight to the eyes, desire to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The enemy, through his lies, caught her eye, and this is what he was, she was tempted by, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, it's good for food. Delight to the eyes, the, 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 the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the light to the eyes, and the pride of life, it's desire to make one wise. First John 2 says this, do not love the world. Don't, don't, don't look at the fruit of the world and what they have to offer and love the world. Don't love the world or its ways. Do not love the world. Don't, don't be caught with your gaze thinking that the world has something to offer you. You know the truth. As a believer here, you know the truth. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world can be summarized in this. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of the Lord, whoever obeys God's law and his commands, whoever does the will of the Lord abides forever. Amen? Just stand to your feet with me. Marriage and family is designed by God as God designed it to function is under attack from the enemy of our soul, Satan. We must reject the lies individually. And we must embrace the truth of God's word and we must submit our lives to follow God's ways. James 4 says this, chapter 4 says this, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. 2 Corinthians 10 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's what I know is in this room right now. I'm, I'm almost done. Hang tight. Here's what I know is true about what's in this room right now. I know that in this room there are marriages that are doing well. There are marriages that are doing well. And everything that's going to happen from next week on to the end of this series about marriage and family, it's only going to serve as reinforcement and reminder to you of what you're living out 
And I need that. And you need that. That's why I, Asel and I, in 15 years of marriage, we have gone to five marriage conferences. Right? Five? Four? Four? Four marriage conferences. Typically, people think you go to marriage conferences when you have trouble in your marriage. We go to marriage conferences to remind us of what we already know. To keep me on the right path. So I know that those are, there are those of you that are like that right here. But I also know that there are some of you that are struggling in your marriage. Now, some of you, you're here by yourself and your spouse is not here because there's pain in your marriage right now. I know that some of you, you're going through a divorce right now and you're struggling. So there's all kinds of different situations that are going on in marriages and in families. There's some of you here this morning, your kids are rebelling against God, they're rebelling against you, and there's just a lot of drama in your life right now. So I know there's lots of different situations. And so what I want to challenge you to do is this. This is all I know to do because this is what I know is true. We're going to open up the Bible next Sunday. We're going to go back to Ephesians. And we are going to believe what God's word says. And we're going to see the blueprints. God designed it in Genesis. The enemy's been trying to attack it. But we're going, to, we're going to combat the lies with truth. And we're going to look at what God's word says about our responsibilities as wives and husbands, as, as parents and children. And we're going to submit ourselves to God's word and let his word do a work in our life. So will you join me in committing to that coming and coming with a heart of expectancy that God can do a miracle in your marriage. God can, God can heal your marriage. God can restore broken things. That's what he does. If he can save a broken, messed up human being that's on their way to hell, he can save a marriage. God can bring wayward children back home because that's what he does. Amen? So I, I, I want to pray a prayer. For all of you that are here right now that are struggling. And this is what we're going to We're just going to close in prayer. So if that's you and that tugs with your heart and you are in a place of desperation and you're struggling. Just, just as I begin to pray, just cry out to the Lord in your heart. Say, Lord, that's me. I, I need help. Our marriage needs help. No one knows. No one sees. But we're, we're privately struggling. We need help. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we do reject the lies of the enemy. We will not fall prey to the lie of the enemy. We will cast down every argument that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. We will follow God's ways. We will obey his word and his law. But God, because our heart desires to. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we do that, as we listen to your word taught in the different details about how marriage and family is designed to work. God, I pray that you would begin that process of working in our hearts, conforming us individually into your image so that individually we are becoming whole and healed and then our marriages are being strengthened and our families are strengthened. God, I pray for every person that's represented here this morning. Their marriages are struggling. Their families are struggling. Lord, I pray that you would do a miracle in their life. I pray that those who have no hope this morning about it, that they leave today with hope, believing that your word works, your word works, that we will get into the word of God until God's word gets into us. And we will let God's word do its work through the power of the Holy Spirit, that it will transform us and change us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.